Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Hey, folks, it's Hugh Ballou on another edition of the Nonprofit Exchange. We're pushing six years with great interviews with really good people. Everybody has a piece of the puzzle. Uh, people have been working in the sector from very different disciplines, and I learn something every week. And I've been doing this for 32 years, helping leaders put their strategy together, put one foot in front of the, the other, and, and to get their success pathway defined and implemented. Sarah is our guest today. Oliveri. Love that name. Sarah is Thank our you. guest today. And Sarah's topic is a fascinating topic. I want to make sure that I get it right. It's called the future of digital fundraising and how to get ahead of the curve. Sarah, welcome to the nonprofit exchange and please tell people a little bit about you and why, is, why do you have passion for this topic? Sure. Um, well, I actually used to be a nonprofit executive director. Um, probably it's my mom's fault. Uh, she took over the small uh, independent school that I had gone to when it was in need of help, just as I was transitioning out. And um, I found myself, I got asked to organize a nonprofit conference um, for an autism school uh, who worked with kids on the spectrum. I loved organizing their conference. They quickly asked me to become their program director. And then in that process, I discovered that their financials were kind of messed up. And, you know, my mom, who had picked up a lot of things on the fly, said, you can learn bookkeeping. It's no big deal. Um, so I took, took home the books and learned QuickBooks over the weekend. And um, before I knew it, I was leading both people and money. And in the nonprofit world, that puts you right into top leadership positions really fast. Um, I had the pleasure of being a program director, a deputy director, executive director, I founded a nonprofit that was a, a school, um, and I was once the first but not founding executive director of a foundation, which was interesting to see things from the other side. Um, and uh, so that was my background um, until the economy crashed, and I started leaning on a side skill that I had picked up in this nonprofit work, which was building websites and doing digital marketing. and. I enjoyed that, I made that my business, and um, as I got really serious about building a marketing agency, I, I started focusing on picking a niche to focus on, and I focused on, dun dun dun, nonprofits, of course. Um, and as soon as I did that, I realized that there was still so much work that needed to be done in how nonprofits operate, because they really weren't able to take advantage of really great digital marketing. Um, because they weren't able to move fast enough. They weren't able to make decisions fast enough. And they weren't able to grow in the way that they would need to if they really had great marketing um, you know, added to their, their repertoire of what they were doing. And um, that's what led me to what I'm doing now and what led me to create the impact method, uh, which I can talk a little bit about and how I, how I came to develop that. Um, but that is why I'm here. It's really been a love of nonprofits and I always wanted to help the nonprofits I worked in kind of scale what they were doing um, so they could do more without necessarily working harder. Um, and now I get to do that 
with many nonprofits. I love it. So um, I got a lot of questions. Let's just start with one. Your, your website and your company is called Pivot Ground. Give us a little background on that. Sure. Well, when it came time to name it, I didn't want to name it after myself. And I really wanted to, um, you know, create a name that kind of represented the space I was creating. And I really felt like I wanted Pivot Ground to be a place where nonprofits could come, really understand, be safe for a moment, understand where they are, and identify, you know, wh where am I going from here? Where am I going to turn to and pivot to? Um, and so I came up with the word pivot first. Um, and then somebody said to me, Sarah, think, think, look to the sky. I think they said thinking about nature and then the word ground to me. And, and, um, people have always felt that working with me, that it felt very grounding. Um, I'm, I am known for taking things that are very dynamic or complex and making them simple enough to manage. I, um, pivot is a fascinating word. And I, I uh, just came out of my mouth just this very morning. I was with a brilliant family that does a family nonprofit project. And they've, they had a whole bunch of community people and they're working uh, origami. They're funding water projects with origami. It's mm. really brilliant. And um, she said, I wish we could scale this more because we, we're folding as much as we can. Um, and um, I just went by the house and there were four ladies folding the origami. And I said, it's time to pivot. You're the founder. It's time to pivot into being the leader so that you can have other people do this marvelous yeah. work. And it's, it's hard for people to change their, their mindset. Um, so talk a little bit about digital age and digital marketing and digital fundraising and why is the pivot ground important for that whole paradigm? And just kind of define what you're talking about with digital marketing and how it relates to fundraising. So we have a a basis of understanding before we talk about it. Sure. Well, I think the most important thing is that we are living in this digital world. And what I mean by that is a world that is highly influenced by the powers of the internet, really. Um, and what the internet has allowed us to do or forced us to do, depending on how you look at it, is move much faster. The, the whole context of the world changes faster. Information is flowing faster than it used to. Ideas can take hold faster. Prototypes can be made faster. And so that really changes the way we need to operate. We need to be able to pivot. We need to be agile if we're going to update the way we're doing things in order to um, continue to have the result that we want. And I think it's important to imagine like, you know, we we need to be able to change the way we operate fast so that we can keep the outcome we're trying to achieve consistent, right? It's not about, we don't want to become all chaotic. We don't want to change our missions every 60 days or every three months, but we do at this, in this day and age, need to be able to kind of change our, how we're getting there and tweak that and sometimes do a very kind of about face sudden, um, change of the direction of the how we're doing it, not um, necessarily where we're going. Just like your, you know, your family who's doing origami, right? They don't need to change their mission of, um, I, I didn't quite catch what their mission was, but water-based mission. They just need to change maybe the how they're getting there, um, find a new way to do that. 
Yeah, they're they're selling origami folding pieces, thousands, yeah. of, thousands, tens of thousands of them for fun projects for people who have no water. Um, yeah, and they're doing a very successful job of it. But they, to scale it now, so we're in an internet age that's fast, and mm -hmm. that word fast uh, can be interpreted many ways. Most of them will be wrong. So sometimes we we try to do things too fast. We have the ability yeah. to connect with more people in a more more succinct way, and in a shorter. We don't have to wait to get a piece of mail a week later, uh, or we don't right. wait for the overnight FedEx or the cost of it. We can communicate with people instantly. That doesn't mean that we have to do everything fast, but we do have the ability to connect in a in a very rapid manner. So the, the so how does that work with our yes we have the same outcome in mind but the, the methodology the pathway so talk a little more about that and how we can embrace this instant communication <laughs> there's many people that ignore it as people that respond to it I've, I've, sure yeah. yeah um well first i'll say yeah you have a good point about um speed right we want to be fast and in control we do not want to be rushing or out of control in any way because that's no, that's beyond, that's too fast. That's ineffective. Um, is our audio okay? Yeah. Okay, good. Um, so as far as, let me just kind of lay the history of communication out in 30 seconds. So the first big scaled communication was the invention of the printing press, right? So we're going way back pre-internet printing press comes around and we're now able to um, mass copy and distribute someone's ideas. One person's ideas goes into a book and the book gets mass printed and distributed, right? So that is kind of what the first major evolution of scaled communication. And that is one to many communication. One person's idea goes out in many copies of the book. Then we had the first version of the internet basically gave everybody if they wanted a printing press in their house. Um, so they one to many communication. That's when we got our the ability to send to a large email list. That was the first version of the internet. What maybe not everybody's aware of, but we all have in our laps now around 2006, the second version of the internet came out. And it's from that second version that actually the internet became much more interactive and responsive. And with the, so, you know, chat tools where like people write right back or you're getting live data and computers can start making decisions based on that data. Um, that's when people started creating multiple versions of websites. So it displays one way on a mobile device and another way on a desktop computer. Or you may have noticed years ago, Amazon. Amazon didn't show me the same things as it showed you. Your Facebook wall didn't show me the same things as, as your Facebook wall showed you. And that is the second version of the internet. And the second version of the internet is different in that instead of just scaling the one-to-many communication, it has started to scale the one-to-one -one communication, that back and, back and forth communication. And we are squarely in that era now, that, that scaled one-to-one -one communication. But we're on the verge of a future era, which we can talk to, but I just wanna stop for a moment. Does that kind of make sense about the one-to-many versus the one-to-one -one scaling Absolutely. of communication? Absolutely. That's great, yes. 
Yeah. So we are now um, kind of scaling even farther with um, uh, artificial intelligence and and the way that chatbots are going. We're, we're beginning to scale what I call the none-to-many <laughs> um, communication, which means the, the computers are actually beginning to communicate on our behalf. Um, and that is a new era that if you really want to be ahead of the curve, you need to be thinking about how are you going to scale your none-to-many communication. Wow. Had been dawned on me so far that <laughs> all that AI stuff is shifting to this 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 sector. So right now, now um, at first glance, this all seems very overwhelming. There's just lots of options and lots of tools and lots of things to do. So already, I work with some people who got to not have an idea. I don't want to start a nonprofit. Well, who do you know that could be on the board? Who do you know that could help help you fund it? And, and people start thinking, well, I don't know anybody. But then we start doing the planning. They think of people. But then you look at all the steps that you need to do to get this thing out of the ground. Then people say, oh, I'm overwhelmed. There's, there's a lot to do. But I say, okay, let's sequence it. Because we do one thing mm -hmm. at a time and that builds to the next one. But when you talk about this, all this uh, social media, that's one component. A lot of this digital communication, that's another component. There's just so many facets to that in addition to the overall, how do you find people? How do you do meetings? How do you raise money? So talk about how people can look at this and break it down in what's manageable and not be overwhelmed by it. Yeah. Well, I actually, I love that you asked that question. I made a very small um, marketing course recently uh, that kind of deals with just how do you increase your marketing capacity? Because there are a bazillion and one tactics out there that will overwhelm you and you'll just go nowhere or you'll be like, none of these work for me. And so I kind of have these, a few levels that you should think about where you are at in your own evolution for marketing. And the first one I call, um, I call it just, you know, figuring out what you can do. It's flexing the muscle, right? So pick any tactic, pick posting on social media or pick writing a blog post or pick sending an email out to your email list. It doesn't really matter what, just try something with your team without hiring anybody even if it's just you, sit down and figure out what can I do with some consistency that brings me joy? What works for me? What works for my team? What are we capable of? That is the first thing you need to answer before you really worry about um, what works well for your audience. You need to know what you're capable of. And if you're small and just starting out, you may only be capable of managing a single Facebook group, let's say. Um, or you may be capable of um, going live and doing a live recording like this. You might find that you're able to do that. Um, so once you have a sense of how much you can actually have on your plate right now and what kinds of activities you're capable and good at doing and which kinds of activities just are not for you. So for example, for all my marketing experience, I can't consistently write a blog writing hurts me. Um, I'm good at it, but it hurts. And I, I just I resist. And so it's not my path. And it doesn't matter how good blogging is in the world. It's not going to work for me because I can't do it um, or I won't do it. <laughs> um, so that's just, that's just me. That's how my brain operates. And um, 
but I have other ways that do work for me and I know what those are. And so I can leverage those. Once you know what you're capable of doing, then you can do what I call, um, you know, figuring out what works for your audience, right? You wanted to know who you're trying to reach and see if you can use one of the things that you're capable of doing or tweak that a bit to reach the people you're trying to reach. So um, maybe you found you could totally do Facebook, but your audience is really on LinkedIn. You could move your efforts over there. Or maybe you, um, you, know, you don't have such a social media crowd. Maybe your crowd um, is coming to meetings physically in person with you. It doesn't all have to be digital. Um, or maybe email is your main thing. And if you can't do much, email should just be your main thing. If you just need a cheat right now, email is still like the most effective um, two-way communication tool by far. Um, so I highly encourage everybody, if you're feeling overwhelmed, start with mastering how to communicate effectively by email. Um, although I say email, right? But in person, and telephone conversations are always going to be like above, above that as far as relevancy. Nothing beats an in-person conversation ever, and I don't think anything ever will. Um, so definitely don't hear email marketing is great and be like, but meeting in person, meeting in person is always better, but we can't really scale our one-to-one -one in person meetings. Absolutely. Um, you're limited by the amount of time. So right. Go ahead. Go ahead. So once you've figured out what actually works, so you go in the what works for me, what works for the people I'm trying to talk to, and then once you figure out some things that consistently work for the people you're trying to talk to, then you want to scale those activities. And scaling might mean you start putting advertising dollars behind it, or you hire um, an agency or a professional or an, an assistant even to help you execute um, whatever it is that you know is working. Uh, but until you're really through um, that experimental phase, you're not going to be putting a huge monetary investment. If you get stuck or if you do have some resources and you want to make that experimental phase go faster, you could hire a marketing agency to specifically tell them like you need them to test and figure out a marketing strategy that's going to consistently work for you. Um, whether that's fundraising, right? So fundraising needs marketing. Marketing, I like to define, is just about finding people who are interested in what you're offering and engaging them to the point that they'll take action with you. So if that means finding donors um, and engaging with them until they're ready to make a donation and make another donation, um, that's marketing for fundraising. But you might be doing marketing to fill your programs. You might also be doing marketing to increase your staff. You know, when you people um, think about your reputation before they apply to work with you. So that all three areas use marketing and, and you may have overlap between the marketing efforts of those um, three areas of your organization. What you have with a face-to-face meeting is relationship. Yeah. So in all of this, this digital age, how do we... And you said email is the most effective, um, what'd you say, um, interactive communication. How do you build a relationship in that? Because we t tend to say, hey, we need money, you send out an email. How do you build yeah. a relationship that's going to net and somebody saying, I want to respond to this? So you want to keep everything in context for the medium. And when I mean medium, I mean email is a medium, 
social, you know, Facebook is a medium. There's actually like a few mediums within Facebook, but let's just take email for example. And, and you may have heard, hopefully you have, but if not, the days of the newsletter format are gone. That was internet 1.0. Um, internet 2.0 is about um, meaningful content and people's email boxes are flooded. Um, so you wanna make your email seem as close to a personal email, right? You're more likely, Hugh or anyone out there, to open an email that was personally from me for you than you are to open kind of a newsletter that you send out. So whatever steps you can do to make your email, which is a mass email, seem like a personal one-to-one -one email, the better it's going to work. Um, and there's a few levels at which you can do this, right? So you can, it could be as simple as strip all that formatting out and just make it look like a plain email and have your email tool start with hi and the person's first name, right? That's, that's a great step. Um, there are some more complicated steps you can do by only sending um, certain emails to people who you already know they're interested in that topic. Um, and the, the way, the secret trick to doing that, finding out what topics people are interested in is you embed a link in an email rather than giving them the full story. Like let's say you have three news, news things about your nonprofit. You give a little summary and that link, link to read more. And then you, you track and your email tool will do this for you. Who clicked the story about the homeless puppy? Who clicked the story about the homeless veteran? And who clicked the story about the gala? And then you send everybody who clicked the story about the gala more information about the gala, everybody who clicked about the puppy, more puppy-oriented information, and everybody who clicked about the homeless veteran, more information about your homeless veteran programs. Now, does that mean you have to write three times as many emails? Yes, it does. Um, so work your way up. You know, only do what you can handle. Well, that means you've got a contact list and you're working the list. And you've yeah. put in your list, you've validated your list, and you're staying in touch with your list, right? Mm-hmm. How much is too much? I don't, I don't think nonprofits have reached too much. Um, what you should watch is if, if it's really too much for... So, there's a few versions of too much, right? There's, I'm receiving your emails, right? There might be too many emails, but for me, not too much on Facebook. So you can double message. So you can send the same information out you're sending out on email, you can send out on Facebook. And I might be interested on Facebook reading about it, but not on email. Um, if people really, if people stop opening your emails, then it's probably too much. And at that point you have to decide, is it me or is it them? Were they not the right fit after all? And I'm glad that they're off my email list and I'm now not paying to market to them because they weren't, they weren't for me. Um, or am I, is it too much? Usually though, it's not too much. It's too boring, too uninteresting. So you need to change what you are saying. So if you're saying, oh, I did this and I did that, you know what, that's great. But I'm a normal self-interested person. I want to hear about me when you send me an email. And that's okay. It's, it's totally natural and normal for humans to be self-interested. It's actually harder and unnatural to send a message that's not about you, but about the you you're sending the email to. That's a, that's a key point. Um, we, we all want to go on and on about us and what we're doing. Now, there is validation for donors of impact. And so- mm -hmm tell people about the work that's, that's been accomplished. 
So how do, yeah. you, how do you bridge from, we need to stay in touch with people, let them know we've been good stewards of their money, um, or we're going to be good stewards if they give us money. Um, you know, here's, here's the difference we're making in people's lives. But then how do you take that message and then translate it? I'm sure it's different for each kind of organization. And I, I notice in emails that I send, I use a, a service. There's several like MailChimp, the constant contact, et cetera. And you can look and see who, who clicks on it, who doesn't click on it, and who mm-hmm. clicks on the links inside of those emails. Um, and so you know exactly who's opening your emails and who's not opening your emails. And the open rate um, is not all that good across the board, I don't think. Yeah, and I think um, it, you know, I like the work that Next After does because I think they're really pushing the nonprofit industry to have, um, you know, open rates and success rates closer to what the for-profit industry does. Um, you know, I think if, when it comes to, you know, our, you know, what is interesting, right, for your donors, yes, you could say, you know, this is what we did with your money. That's one thing. I'm a really strong believer that the primary drive that donors have is they want an emotional experience. It's like the same reason why we might take ourselves on a shopping spree, why we might eat certain foods, and why, you know, why drugs are attractive to many people, right? We're looking for an emotional high. Um, So for all of you who feel nervous about or bad about asking people for money, I want you to think about you are offering them probably the healthiest alternative to get that emotional high that you could possibly give somebody an opportunity for, right? Way better than eating food that's terrible for you or, you know, getting drunk. You give the, you have the chance for people to get an emotional high and actually make the world a better place while doing no harm to themselves. So you have gold to give people and it's something that people want and are seeking for every day. So think about how you can give them that emotional high in your emails. Let them be, take them on the journey with you, right? They're contributing because they want to be part of your journey helping people. So, you know, this is what we've accomplished. This is what we're trying for. This is a hard problem that we're facing that you could be helping us solve. All those kinds of messages. There's nothing wrong. You can be vulnerable, you can be strong as long as you're talking about how we're able to do it together and the role that you, the person who's reading, is playing in that. Um, you will be, you'll be mess- sending great messages. That's really stimulating thinking for me. So for, for people uh, watching this on Facebook, listening to the podcast, you can find out about um, Sarah's work and what she does. It's pivot, P-I-V-O-T, pivotground.com. In the, the very first page, the home page, the main page says a nonprofit strategic planning that works, make impact with tools and processes that move your organization forward without the overwhelm caused by traditional strategic planning. Speak to that for a minute. That's fascinating. Sure. Well, I really set out to find a way to help nonprofits really thrive. And what I mean by thrive means you have to change the way you operate so that you can scale your impact and not be burned out. Scaling impact means doing more without significantly increasing your resources, as opposed to growing your impact, which means you're making a bigger impact 
but the work of it just increased proportionally with the impact you're making. And so you just grow a bigger and bigger beast and that leads to burnout. Burnout is inefficient. Um, so the impact method cre is created of three core concepts that you need all three parts going together to create a synergy that really makes this work. And part of that is the way you do strategic planning um, is completely different from traditional strategic planning. And the impact method, we, you are able to develop your core strategic plan. We call it an impact strategy in as few as three hours, as long as 30 days. But by the time 30 days is up, you should be up and running and you are going to revise that strategic plan every 60 days. So you'll no longer have a big planning cycle. You're no longer gonna stop the world and do a big strategic plan. And then maybe you do it, maybe you don't. Because the secret to succeeding in the digital world is come up with an idea and actually test it right away and see if it works. That's your most valuable data. We don't have time to like do a big data study and make a big plan and then execute the plan over years because it will be obsolete before we start it. And we no longer have a shortage of data. We can get more data than we can handle, you know, in the blink of an eye, log into your Google Analytics account and you'll be overwhelmed immediately. So with, with all the data that you could possibly need. So we need to do strategic planning frequently um, and, and reg, you know, regularly and be chipping away and modifying it and modifying it and modifying it. It's that process, it's a, you know, a process of creating a plan um, that has, the plan itself has two of the three components. So one is we need to have a system um, for consistently improving. And so that is where in the impact method, we have these regular meetings at two week intervals and at 60 day intervals where we um, check on our strategic plan and we check on our action plan. Um, the second thing we need that the plan is involved with is we need to have a really clear roadmap from like, what am I doing today? And how does that lead to my big goal, my mission? Um, and so we have our impact strategy has our mission at the center. It has our big goals. And then it's actually linked to our work plan for the next 60 days. And every work plan is broken down into the next two weeks. So I always know today I'm working on this two week plan and I know that it connects to my biggest goals and that everything I'm doing is the most important thing I can think of to do right now. And I'm not getting distracted by things that are not directly connected to my big goal. So those are the two things. I said there were three. The third thing that you really need to thrive and to get this synergy going is a way of operating, a way of being organized as an organization that is efficient and happens to also be more enjoyable. And I call it um, creating a trellis for your humans to organize around. So many nonprofits think that their biggest problem is lack of money. But I want to tell you that is, I haven't met the nonprofit yet whose biggest problem is actually lack of money. It is almost always how you have chosen to organize all the people who are involved with your nonprofit and you haven't been able to organize them in a highly efficient way. Um, and that is usually the biggest problem. And once you get that attended to, you're, you have the capacity to do the fundraising that you really need. Mm-hmm, mm -hmm. um, Spoken very well. I just, um, you put that all in a very concise statement. So um, 
there's a lot of people that work without strategies and they have, Oh, I got it all in my head, but all we do is confuse all the, all the volunteers we want to work because it's in our head, not in their heads. Um, right. And so there's an interactive process of putting, putting that, that track right. down so people know what the, it's sort of like a musical score for I'm a conductor. So you got the, you got the musical score, everybody's got their part. So when you give the downbeat, people know what to play. And so exactly. part, of your, part of your strategy is the right tools. Part of your digital marketing is the right tools. So how do you find and utilize the right tools? Now, the strategy tells you where you want to go and how you're going to get there. But then there's the micro of which tool does what. So any, any um, I know we're limited on time here and you, you got to go in a minute, but what are the highlights of how we choose the right tools? Can you hear me? Sure. Yes. I think that the internet has gone wonky for a moment, but I, so how do we choose the right tools? Is yeah. that, that's the question, right? Um, that is a really good question. I know a lot of nonprofits struggle with that. And the challenge digital age that so new tools are becoming obsolete or breaking very fast. Um, and so the trick is to, um, a couple things. One is if you focus your whole team on the, the outcome that they're each trying to achieve and give them kind of the freedom to choose the tool or change the tool as needed um, to achieve that outcome, that will help you be a little more nimble. But balancing that out, I have to say, you know, try to use as few tools as possible because it is very easy in this digital world to just have a big soup and one thing of, of mess, <laughs> mess of too many tools. And one thing that I think a lot of nonprofits are aware of, if you owned a campus of buildings, you would have a property manager of some sort. You would have that job of buildings and grounds. Well, you probably own a campus of internet property and tools, and you probably didn't put anybody in charge of managing them. So in this world of the digital age, if you are using, I'll just keep the campus, the campus metaphor going, if you are using a campus worth of tools and digital properties, that needs to be managed. It's not just going to manage itself. And so you do need someone who is accountable for making sure that your, res your digital resources are optimized and working as fast. Um, for everybody in your organization. So, so what are some of your favorite tools? Oh man, it really depends uh, partly on personalities. What I'll, I'll tell you first, my test for a tool, my personal test, if I'm going to use a tool is um, first pick, pick the need and then pick the tool that meets the needs. Don't let the tool lead the show. <laughs> Don't pick a tool and then try to do everything it can do. Figure out what you want done and then find, search for a tool that does the job for you. Then I, I download the trial or whatever it is and without following really any tutorials, I give myself 30 to 45 minutes to see if I can get going with the tool. If I can start to get going with the tool and feel like, oh yeah, I can use this, then I'll consider it further. If I, if I go down that path and I'm feeling overwhelmed or I feel like I've just made more of a mess, I'm like, this, this is just not the tool for me. It doesn't work the way my brain works. Um, so that's kind of my test. Um, one, I'll tell you some of my favorite tools though, because everybody does like tools. Um, Google Drive. 
Google over Microsoft when it comes to the online um, kind of office suite, every time I recommend it because it is has a much greater emphasis on collaboration. And I really don't see the point of having our, our Word documents and spreadsheets in the cloud if it doesn't enhance our ability to collaborate on them. So I really like Google Suite for that. You can certainly have both as a nonprofit, um, but I'll just tell you what I've heard about the Microsoft Suite is it's this almost the same experience except it's in the cloud and Google's quite different. Um, I love a tool called Close, C-L-O-Z-E.com. It's a relationship management CRM. Um, so it's really about enhancing your ability to build relationships one-on-one. -on -one. And we didn't touch on this before, but I often talk about it when, um, you know, our scaled one-to-one -one communication, there are a number of tools that do what I call augmented automation. So um, it's not fully automated, but they give you a little boost, a little time saver. So for example, Google's, Google's Gmail does this now in all Gmail, right? It fills out what you might what it thinks you want to reply, like congratulations. You can just click a button instead of typing congratulations. Um, close that has some automations or augmentations that are similar, like I confirm all my meetings with people and um, it pre-fills in um, a templated email with the unique meeting time for them. So it's very, with a click of a button, I can generate an email that says, hey Hugh, I look forward to our meeting at 2 p.m. tomorrow, Eastern time, see you then. Uh, and instead of having to write that each time, I go click, 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 and my meetings are all confirmed for the next day, one-on-one. Oh, -on -one. Close, C-L-O-Z-E. It also reminds me to follow up with people or I can set reminders, which is really helpful um, to just have things be pushed to the surface that you need to follow up with. Um, you can schedule emails and you can tell it to only remind you if somebody doesn't reply to an email you just sent. Um, so things like that are really helpful time savers. So um, any tool that does that, um, that is very fast to set up, um, I think is really helpful. I love Zoom, which we're on right now. I think that video calls um, and are really, you know, getting pretty close to one-on-one -on -one in-person communication. Um, I think a lot more nonprofits could be taking advantage of video calls with clients, with donors. Um, you could be scaling classes and programs you have using this medium. It's highly effective for education, um, especially if you do like we're doing, like actual face-to-face -face conversations. If you're just playing a, re a slideshow, even though it's live, might as well be pre-recorded. It's not that more, much more engaging. But with Zoom, you can actually get a group of 10, 15, 75 people in a virtual room together, talking, seeing each other's faces, and that is very meaningful. Um, that, is, that is communication at a much more meaningful level than just a presentation with a slideshow. This has been a wealth of information. We're coming up to the, the end of the time here. Um, you've talked a little bit about this, but before I go to a sponsor message um, with uh, the artificial intelligence thing, how do we, until that really gets safe, because it's kind of scary right now, um, <coughs> how, do we, how do we stay um, uh, ahead of the curve, so to speak, of, of technology, of digital communications, and specifically building relationships so people want to fund us? Yeah. 
I would say, you know, number one is just keep, of, keep top of mind, how can I scale my one-to-one -one communications? Ask yourself that. How can I scale my one-to-one -one communications? Because they're so much more effective than one-to-many. Um, there are a million tools and a million ways to do this, um, but if you just at, go through your current tools and what you're doing now and say, how can I scale this so that I can have more one-on-one -on -one interactions or something that gets me, you know, is like almost a one-on-one -on -one or simulates a one-on-one -on -one interaction. Um, so, because those are so meaningful. And, and I'll tell you the reason why it's more important now than ever that you do that is because the baby boomers are passing away and we are having the largest transfer of wealth in human history, I believe. And what's partly unique about the baby boomers, especially in this country, is um, most of their wealth is tied up in illiquid assets, property, things that doesn't, won't have value to you as a nonprofit until they pass away. So many of them may not look like major donors right now. So you want to be scaling your one-on-one -on -one communications with people who maybe are just volunteers or give you $20 a month. They might look like consistent, low-level supporters. But if you engage them and find out, they may have significant wealth that they would like to pass on to you um, when they pass away. And you won't know who they are if you don't scale your ability and attempt to have some sort of one-on-one -on -one type communication with everybody on your list. Gone are the days where you're only looking to have that one-on-one -on -one communication with the highest level donors on your list. Aim for everybody. See if you can have a meaningful one-on-one -on -one connection with everybody. That is extremely good advice. Um, so how do, so let me tell people again, the, the website to find Sarah is pivotground.com. Now there's a login. Do you, do people uh, have a private community here? What do you have? How do people? Sure. Um, I have some um, online courses. So the login is for those people who have enrolled in uh, one of our courses. Um, otherwise, you can schedule a free consultation with me. It's about 45 minutes long. We'll dive into something that's going on for you now, and you will leave with one to three clear next steps. Um, so many people think it's just going to be a sales pitch, and they're so surprised when I said, I have no deck for you. This is a real free consultation. Um, if one of those next steps makes sense for you to implement the impact method, we can have that conversation. Um, but I love, I love having those one-on-one -on -one conversations. Um, I love to help people uh, who call. So I encourage anybody, um, whether you're an executive director or a board member, or I love it when executive directors and board chairs get on a call together. Um, we're actually really able to do a lot in 45 minutes. So um, I encourage anybody who's considering it to get on a call with me um, for free. Well, and if, if you go to uh, pivotground.com, and you click on free resources, there's an abundance of resources there. So um, Sarah, I'm gonna give a commercial message right now, but um, when we come back, I'll have, you'll have a chance to give people a, a parting thought or a tip or a challenge uh, as we close out this very helpful interview. Thank you. Our sponsor today is EasyCard. You can have your own, it looks like an app, but it's not an app. You don't have to download it on your phone. So if you want to get the easy card for Center Vision, 
you'll see what it's like. So if you send a text, I'm going to give you a number. So you want to write this number down. You want to send a text to 64600. 64600 is the number. And the message will be LDR. It's a very short abbreviation for leader. LDR, you send to 64600. And if you do all that correctly, you'll get a reply and then a hot link. You click on that and it opens up the information about Center Vision Leadership Foundation and all the resources that we have for you. And there'll be a, a tab on there for the nonprofit exchange and you'll click on it. And here's the video and the audio from today and the transcription from today's interview with Sarah. Sarah had quite a few really good sound bites. So our, our sponsor is Easy Card and you can have one. So you're instantly, you can send, in addition to emails, you can send a text to all those people who are part of your tribe, your board members, your volunteers, your donors, you can send a text out and you can, you can categorize them and you can send a text out. Hey, we're having an event Friday. Don't forget, bring a friend with you. So it's a, another way for you to provide information. They can have the easy card. They can find the information about the event and it's always on their phone. It's always with them. And it's not like a website. It's so interactive. And when you do change your website, it updates your easy card. So it is in fact easy. So 64600 LDR is the message you put in there connects. And one of the tabs is how to have your own easy card. Not only is it easy, but it's very cost effective. So Sarah, what do you want to leave people with today? Um, I really, you know, I like to tell, especially nonprofit leaders to be brave. There are too many people out there running nonprofits, trying to ch solve the world's most complex problems and feeling overwhelmed and stuck and not sure how they can really get there or how they can go on. And I want you to hear me when I say there, there is a better way. And in fact, carrying on being overwhelmed is extremely inefficient and ineffective. Um, and so you, ne you need to do this better way because I believe your mission is extremely important. Um, and I don't want you to carry on that way. So um, it, but it might mean that you really have to pivot, that you really have to change the way you've been doing things. And that is going to require a bit of bravery. So I want you all to be brave and try something different. Ah, great interview. Thank you for being our guest today. We're here every Tuesday at 2 Eastern time for the Nonprofit Exchange. So if you can't be here live, get it on your, your phone, wherever you get, wherever you get podcasts. It's the Nonprofit Exchange. And you can have interviews like this one with Sarah with all the script right on your phone. So thank you for being here today. Thank you for uh, giving us such great wisdom, Sarah. You obviously know your content very well. Thank you, Hugh. It's really a pleasure. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.